You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be concluding our Stephen King triple feature with the 1983 classic Stephen King adaptation of Cujo perfect I'm so glad that you had a shock jock intro for that because I was totally (laughs) going to introduce myself as Lydia Ann pet and puppy paws peever and it's me West dog pound knife Yikes. You are all in the doghouse and in my dog pound. I am in the doghouse now totally for making you watch this, and I know it. I know it. You said you were going to be in the doghouse. Now I feel like I'm in the doghouse. It's hot. It's sticky. It's August. I've been watching characters cry in a steaming hot car for 90 minutes. Oh, my God. It's actually way, way hotter outside. I was going to open up all the windows and just, like, amp up the heat in here and get us just dripping with sweat. Oh and God. I admit, I'm a little I'm a little gamey. A little gamey. Oh, man, I'm spicy right now. I'm a fucking spicy boy. <laughs> Ew. Ew. But nothing compares to the lovely, stenchy, gross, slick, blood-soaked ew that is Cujo. Yeah. He looks like a fucking like mud puddle just became sentient and decided to become a dog. A mud puddle with fucking AIDS in it. What the <laughs> fuck? Like it is the grossest. This is probably the grossest film we've covered. Just by virtue of the fact that you're watching this poor dog just covered in muck, just touch things. Touch things <laughs> and his slime, his effluence is left behind every time. It is fucking disgusting. Rancid. So this is the most horrific and grossest one out of our little Stephen King extravaganza. Yeah, I know. Stephen King has gone on record saying that the that D. Wallace's performance in this outshines any performance in any of his films, even better than performance in misery even better than the shining which he hates and that, of course, but and that's crazy i mean i like uh, like first of all like, i understand that stephen king d- does not like the shining and uh you, you know for his cast his he doesn't he disliked the casting of nicholson he just like harry even uh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. firestarter isn't a great movie but it's not like it was badly acted but like, yeah, no, uh, yeah, Firestarter. I mean, like, even for a child actor, Drew Barrymore does a wonderful job. Sissy Spacek, oh my god, is Carrie is fucking oh my fantastic. God. And Kathy, Carrie's mother, Kathy Bates, as uh, award winning portrayal. Like, so, it, so when someone were to say, of all my adaptations, this is the best performance. That's insane. Like, and I'm not saying he's wrong, but that is. In- incredibly high praise now this is where you're gonna get some people being like well if you had kids you would understand and then i stab them right in the temple again <laughs> and again and again until they stop talking um maybe maybe if we did have kids we would understand maybe. and you gotta say like, okay sure yeah it's a great performance really truly i be- like i don't doubt that this is her son i don't doubt that this is the way a mother would behave i don't doubt that this is how scared someone would be trapped in this car but best performance out of everything it's hard to say i understand like do i believe that d wallace is terrified desperate frustrated 
yes. Uh, it's a convincing performance. And by the way, you don't have to elevate, you don't have to like put other things down to elevate one. You, yeah. you, like by saying like, if I have, I have other performances in other Stephen King adaptations that I like a little bit better. Um, I did because there's films that I like more than Cujo, frankly speaking. <laughs> but at the same time, I find it interesting from the author's perspective. Let me ask you this, Lydia. Yeah. You're a writer. Barely. Author of things. I, I'm a writer of things. Barely. Even less so than you. So what does that make me? Um, have you ever uh, fallen to the trap of uh, being the cliched alcoholic writer? Yes and no. Yes and no. Have you ever gotten so hammered that you don't remember writing a book? Never. No. No, <laughs> actually. And I'm not a blackout type girl either, but like, you know, drugs or alcohol, neither nor would have me forget I've written anything, let alone an entire fucking novel. I used to think that I was the type of person that never got blackout drunk, and I would use it as a point of pride. As drunk as I've ever been in my life, I always remember everything I said and did, for better or for worse. That is until I had my 31st birthday party, and I got fucking chorned on a lot of wine, and do not remember... Is that T-U-R-N-T? That's how people pronounce that? So uh, I learn words every day. So you what? get turned up, and then turned up became turnt, and then the ex- next evolution of turnt is chornt. Oh, it, wow. is, it, it is sloppy. It that is a is... sloppy turnt. Anyways, <laughs> it's like I'm a fucking issue of Teen Beat. Oh, here. yeah. No, I need it, though. It's like it's my issue of Teen Beat. You're sometimes even Tiger Beat. <laughs> <laughs> My Urban Dictionary all in one. Oh, it's true. Urban Dictionary is one of my favorite places to be on planet Earth, which is funny because it's not a place, it's a website. Now, the reason why I ask you this is because Stephen King famously, famously does not remember writing this book. Which is fucking fucked up to me because you know what? It is a very strong novel. There's a lot of things in this film that, of course, I left out for adaptation's sake, but that make this book so very rich. And the book is extremely tense. It is a terror novel. It is a novel of terror. And it's actually, if you want to write a good novel that has tension ratcheted up and up and up with something that seems to be so very simple, it's a masterclass. Truly, it's a great book. But he doesn't remember writing it, so I mean, whatever. Do you think it's his, his, his editors? Do you think editors is what reined everything in? or Because I'm just trying to think about how... Could I come up with ideas when I'm drunk? Of course I can come up with ideas when I'm drunk. Can I skillfully write those down and create... It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but you know what? Half and half. You know, sure, yeah, editors would have definitely fixed anything really bad, but I don't think there would have been any really grievously horrible writing because he's Stephen King, and by that point... He was turning out book after book after book. And they were all like dark and horrific and supernatural. And he had a lot of like personal problems that he was wrestling with. So this stuff just fucking writes itself clearly because this book must have just wrote itself. And I can see him just barfing out hundreds of thousands of words that are pretty clean, pretty clean copy. I'm sure that he was, he turned this in in pretty clean copy on the other hand. He could have turned in a pile of fucking beer-soaked fucking 
go confused half rolled up sheets of paper with fucking scribbles that someone fixed for him which i really doubt though i i'll bet you the original manuscript is pretty clean probably i know that the one time where you actually gave me praise for our, our little blurbs that i put on our episode descriptions uh, that are getting more and more Crypt Keeper-esque each time I write oh, them. The spelling's improved much. Well, that's good. Uh, I try to watch that, but uh, I'm, uh, I am full disclosure, dear listeners, when I'm editing things and uploading things, your old pal Wes, the Wes Keeper, likes to drink. <laughs> the Wes Keeper, I love it. Okay. He, uh, so he likes to drink, you know, have a couple of sips of uh oh, no, that's a couple of sips an entire bottle of wine how big these <laughs> sips are i don't know big big adult sips yeah big adult sips i usually crush an entire bottle of wine while i'm editing and it's typically speaking when i'm done editing i immediately upload um i've gotten a, a new routine lately for anyone who's actually interested i typically edit everything on thursdays now but i write the blurbs and upload everything on fridays uh so i get two bottles of wine a week and <laughs> podcast math with Wes. Podcast math. The Wes Keeper. The Wes Keeper. And boils and ghouls, holy fuck. I seem to write better when I'm drunk. So maybe, maybe I just need to be a loosey goosey. Maybe I need to live my life a little closer to King. Maybe I need to get into cocaine. He's off of that. I'm just saying back in the day. I think he'd probably speak against it. But ha- tell me if you've written a description and then woke up the next day and been like, wow, what the fuck? I didn't write that. Well, I feel I feel that I didn't really remember what I had written with the one time where you praised it. And I was like, wow, praise from Caesar. It must have been good. And since then, since that particular time, I haven't had to text you in the morning and correct your spelling, which is awesome. I love oh, it. man, does that agitate me? But you're always right. But I'm always just like, let me just leave it. Leave it alone. You do it then, smart ass. Sorry, man. Someone else will correct it or just stop listening to our show because we're obviously fucking morons. <laughs> I've never claimed to be anything but a moron and also the West Keeper. The West Keeper. I love it. That's got to stay forever and ever. Amen. Before we go any further, we did have a very compelling, mind-bending question I've been brainstorming for fucking days from one of our listeners on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Love is in the air. Oh, God. That's right. One of our friends, our dear listeners, asked us a question that I think we need to finally answer. It's the most important question ever. It's the weirdest question ever, but like... I never think of horror villains like this, so this is just weird to me. It's super weird, but also pretty fun, and I thought we would do it. They asked us, we... Lydia, you and I are really good friends. We've been friends for years now. We know each other... Very, very well. Um, but you know, I gotta I gotta say, like, you've been single for a while now, and I know just the perfect guy for you. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, Thomas wanted to know uh if like if we could set each other up on dates with horror characters. And I don't know if he specifically meant like killers in horror, but I guess that's like what else would you interpret it as? I wouldn't put you with like some goon. In a horror movie. <laughs> that bites it. You know, like Slick. Like yeah, Slick. like... He's a guy just... in a horror movie. Although, because, like, by the way, I wouldn't need you to set you up with Slick. Slick would set himself up with you. Oh, yeah. You're telling me. I know he would. <laughs> and I would just be like, don't even bother. He was like, do you want me to drive you to school? <laughs> no, thanks. Stop um, asking. Get off my street. Get off my street. So, uh, so I have been thinking about it. I thought about it for, oh, a hot minute. 
I knew exactly who I would want to set you Michael up Michael Myers? Well, hang on a second there. Oh, ding dong. Who's there at the door? Who's there holding a bouquet of kitchen knives? Oh. It is Michael Myers. Aw, thanks. I tell you, because like I could think of like your perfect date. It'd start off with, you know, a lot of walks, a lot of quiet walks without conversation. And More like, like me that. walking 10 feet ahead of him and him lurking behind a bush. Yeah, behind a bush. And like sometimes there, sometimes not. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a nice little dip in a hot tub. That's always sexy. Oh, yes. Of course it is. And relaxing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When I read the question on uh, Twitter, first I laughed for a minute. And I was like, who, who, who? And I initially thought, oh, Michael Myers for sure. Lydia loves that fucking guy. And but then I was like, no, I can't do Michael Myers. She'll be expecting me to do Michael Myers. I was like, no, fuck it. That's exactly who I'd want to set you up with. There's no one else. There's no one in this world more sympathetic to that guy than you <laughs> I know. Are. I know. I understand we're, we're like, him. You're rolling tears when he gets blinded by yeah. that fucking shit. I still am. Oh, yeah. I still am. It's the closest to a human emotion I've ever felt, really, truly. Yeah. And then I tweeted probably moments after that thought of yours that, please, please let it be Michael Myers. That almost doomed you because I was almost like, well, now I can't pick Michael Myers because she's put it on Twitter. But I was like, nah, there's no one else. There's no one else that I would want to set up. I had such a hard time with this because I was like, uh, like, I felt like a deer in headlights. I was like, date with a horror person, date with fictional people. I just don't really think like that. Like, I have a deep-seated love of hk-47 i don't want to go on a date with him like dating <laughs> fuck that i haven't been on a date in wow a very long time so like <laughs> fuck that shit so i'm like who would i want to doom west to have to go on a date with but west likes dating and west is a fun guy oh thank he you. is and so it's like really hard so i'm like okay do i want to hook him up with some killer that's gonna fucking dummy him within 10 minutes yeah i mean no i mean <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably. But that's what's going to happen because horror movie villains of the female sex generally a little more vicious. It's true. They could lull me into a false sense of security. Yeah. And I didn't want to be sexist quite so I could have set you up with Michael Myers because he's so adorable. But I didn't want to do that. And then I was like, well, Angela, and he has the best of both worlds. That's true. Angela Baker, Peter Baker, you know take your pick whatever however you want to swing with that one you could have a lot of fun because angela can be nice and quiet angela can be you know um spontaneous and fun so you'd have a lot of fun with angela but i'm like no that's just kind of fucked up and then i was like well lola lola stone i love lola stone that could end really poorly for me, though. Yeah, because I like your brain without a hole in it and Javex, you know, or boiling water or whatever. Yeah, it would be the tea kettle, right? Yeah. And, like, to live in the pit. I don't want you to live in the pit. That sounds kind of weird. But Lola is fun. Lola's a fun girl. And she's, you like fun. You like, like dressing up and going to prom and stuff. You would like that. She has prom in her kitchen, like, every night. Yeah. I think you would like that. You think so? Yeah. I think you wanted to kind of study a little more of what's going on between her and her dad. And what better way than to get in there? I kind of know what's going on between her and her dad. I don't really know. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? I saw the movie. But then I'm like, no, that's fucked up. And then the girl of my dreams for Wes came oh to life. Oh, God. I give this way too much thought. I was going to say, because I thought, I was like, I guess it's Lola. All right. Well, I'll be Bleach Boy for a while. It's not necessarily a horror movie. Really? Oh, Ren Ishii from Kill Bill. 
Really? She's beautiful. Very beautiful. Yes, and I love the sword fight in the snow. That's true. Plus, got a lot of resources. I could maybe boss around the crazy 88s. That would be so awesome. See, you're a fun guy. You like fun things. I think that she offers you a lot of fun things to do. And they seem like they had a lot of fun. They like to laugh and like do like a lot of jokes uh, that I didn't really understand. She's intelligent. She can probably serve you a good tea service. She's probably schooled in that as well. It's true. Yeah. And could kick your fucking ass. And that's always a plus. Yeah. I need to get put in my place every now and again. It's the only date I could think of that was worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're worth that much thought. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Anyway, back to fucking Cujo. We're not fucking Cujo. That's dirty. That's bestiality. <laughs> we're not doing bestiality. We're gonna get into pedophilia in the next episode, but like, we're not even doing bestiality. So don't, please, don't fuck your dog. <laughs> Just for the record, guys, please don't fuck your dogs. <laughs> this is our PSA episode. <sighs> and a damn good one. Yeah, Cujo. Um, The book itself was written right after, like, The Dead Zone. So it's basically a quasi-sequel. And there are little tiny threads and elements that run throughout this book that Mm. tie it very loosely, but interestingly, to The Dead Zone. And then doubly interestingly, these films were filmed at the same time, back-to-back. Different production companies. That's correct, yeah. remove the reference they did now if these were both under the same banner i could definitely see them maintaining those things in particular the uh do you think they would have gone for the possession route do you think they would have kept that in well somewhat yes but i don't think it works necessarily because they didn't even really tie in the supernatural element from the closet to the dog correctly at least I didn't get it. And I'm always on the lookout for that sort of thing. So I... There's... Yeah, there's... Even though Tad reads the monster words to Cujo, he's just learned them to ward off evil, right? And things that scare him. The dog is evil and scares him. But you don't really, as a viewer, get it... Like, you get it in the book that the thing in the closet is Frank Dodds, who has embodied this dog, and it's mm-hmm. a possession of a murderous spirit. Mm-hmm. You get it in the book. You don't even get that the closet monster in the film and the dog are anything to do with one another. There's nothing in the film as it stands right now that would indicate that there is any connection whatsoever. It is very cut and dry in the film. This dog gets bit by a bat. That bat probably had rabies. This dog has rabies. This dog becomes rabid. That's the story that this film presents as opposed to, yeah, and and the thing in the closet, it's a kid's overactive imagination and a busted closet door. That's yeah. what that is. There's even in the book, little Brett that belongs to the Cambers, like a little boy mm-hmm. who's the owner of Cujo, really. Um, he has nightmares of his dog and things in closets and stuff. So it's all like really tied together in the way that Stephen King loves to do that weird premonition over distance thing. Like mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really effective as a supernatural um, plot device to bring characters together that would otherwise be completely separated especially before the age of cell phones. Mm, Um, You wouldn't know what's going on except for The Shining, right? So this has like elements of The Shining in it. And it also takes place in Maine, unlike, or like Castle Rock. Unlike some of the films that we've covered, like 1408 has nothing to do with with Maine. Maximum Overdrive also doesn't. 
have anything to do with that. Carolinas, so it's nice to get into Stephen King territory here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Stephen King very famously likes to set a lot of things in and around this area where he grew up. And with very few exceptions, does his novels and film adaptations, that novel step outside that area. So it's good to cap everything off with like Stephen King proper. The story takes place in, you know, his neck of the woods yeah and his fictional town he's created from mm-hmm. his birthright yeah and it's down the road from salem's lot needful things the store is in this area so there's a million little things and i'll reference again the stephen king flow chart mm-hmm. that you need to find online you can get wall posters of the shit and everything mm-hmm. or download it and so what was it about this is this film is what made us start our Stephen King extravaganza, which actually wasn't something that we really planned until we kind of blinked and said, oh, I guess this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, But this was a movie that you had said months and months ago. As a matter of fact, I bet you, if I if I think hard enough, I bet you, you we talked about doing this in 2015, but you specifically wanted to wait until August of 2016. The year is irrelevant, but that's what you wanted to do it in the dead of summer. Yeah. But what was the genesis of you wanting to do the film Cujo? Is it because we've never really done a nature run amok film? Because we've never really done a nature run amok film. And also because I just don't really want to do Jaws. And you know what? If I were given a choice between Jaws and Cujo, I'd want to watch Cujo. Someone asked me what's the better man versus nature classic horror film. Cujo. I love Cujo. So... I, maybe the conversation started with a Jaws thing. I have no idea. But I know I, why I picked August was not only to annoy you with Cujo, because that was also a, a factor, is that you didn't really like Cujo. And I was like, why? And I thought, well, why, why scream and cry and ask him why? I'll just make it part of the show and find out why. <laughs> and what better time than August? The film itself was released in August. We just experienced a heat wave. That's one thing that in this film isn't, played up quite like it is in the book the heat wave that's Mm -hmm. driving everyone mad that is the impetus for a lot of violence in this film and a lot of the tension in the car because we all know to not leave a dog in a car with the windows up leaving people in a car in the windows up when we're experiencing i don't know what it would be in fahrenheit you know i guess 100 degree heat right like Mm -hmm. Super crazy hot, something like 40 to 45 degrees here. Dangerously hot. That's what they were experiencing in the book. It's not really, it's not mentioned the way that it's mentioned in the book, in the film at all. And it doesn't create that sense of urgency whatsoever. But yeah, it was mostly to annoy you. I mean, not to mostly to annoy you. It was mostly because we haven't done a lot of man versus nature. And I really do enjoy this film. And I mm-hmm. like dogs. Uh, first of all, better than Jaws, blasphemous. Although I will say that, and we've talked about um, my opinions on Jaws. I love that movie, and I have a really deep connection with that to my childhood. But I think that what hurts that film into feeling like a proper horror film is um, John Williams' score. And although a lot of people are really into John Williams, and I believe me, the dude has like left an indelible mark on a cinematic um, orchestra. I I think that it was just wrong for Jaws. It's the wrong score for Jaws because, and, and maybe that's what tricked people into to not noticing that it's a straight up monster movie and birthing the blockbuster in that sense because it had a wide appeal because it seems more of like an adventure with the John Williams score, especially a lot of the tension scenes uh, where they're chasing the shark where they can't where you can't see the shark. 
get completely cut to ribbons by this bombastic big horned fucking thing that was composed for it. But um, I mean, believe me, Cujo is a tough sit for me and it's always been a tough sit for me. I've never actually sat down and watched Cujo without commercials before, which makes this almost impossible in my brain to sit through the entire thing if there's commercials attached because so much of this fucking movie is just that car scene in my head even after watching it i feel like that whole movie is just the car yeah and there's it's... a few scenes where i'm like they cut away to a different location a little bit of tension <clears throat> relaxation like a little bit there's enough of it and, I'm and, just, and i just know it's just the car just blocks it all i out. block it all out because all i hear is a little twerp screaming for fucking ever and the mother screaming and the dog barking and it looks like it stinks to high heaven and and I'm just like oh I love it because you know there are bits like I I would do without any uh, cutaways from the time they get in the car just leave them in the car I uh, agree with you actually tighten I, it right up I, I agree with you I think that um I'm I'm very much a traditionalist sometimes when it comes to stories and I think that the second that the story becomes the mother and the son in the car trapped between this slobbering, festering, disease-ridden pustule of an animal. Oh, he's a snuggly little puppy, doesn't he? We want to just kiss him all up. <laughs> I think that the story should remain there. And you don't really need anything else anymore. I suppose once rescue comes over the hill, that becomes important. But I'd say the majority, you could get away with not doing it. Once Rescue comes over the hill and gets half eaten, it would be like a stage play at that point because you'd be stuck with that particular focus and that very, very tiny cast of two screaming people and a rampaging dog. Mm. Not unenjoyable. I, I think that in terms of of, of man versus uh, nature horror films, it is very strong. And I think that one of the things that can make Cujo even scarier to people is there's dogs everywhere. It's not like Grizzly or Orca or The Nest or things like that where you're dealing with either animals you don't encounter or genetically modified animals. I mean, there's even other dog horror films like K-9 and shit like that where you're dealing with non-normal creatures. Monkey shines. Like, who has a monkey? that and this dog like aside from the rabies there's nothing supernatural about it in the book i do lament that we're missing out on the supernatural element yeah but whatever it makes it almost scarier in Mm -hmm. that there is no supernatural element this isn't a giant dog it's a regular saint bernard it's a a saint bernard you see them around uh it's a very powerful animal and it's a very sick animal rabies happens you can eat like it's, it's like there could there could be rabies anywhere at any time. What did Wikipedia say? 60,000 people die of rabies every year. It's crazy. So now this is a PSA, folks. Yeah, watch your dog. Yeah. And because of the fact that I think that the supernatural elements were were included into this film, I think there would have been a disconnect because, and, and not because it's a bad story element. I mean, like Stephen King knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in this case... Because it is a simpler story of what's Cujo about? Oh, the dog gets rabies and he kills people. As opposed to, oh, a dog gets possessed by a killer 
you know, like it's like that fucking what was that show from the nineties with the talking dog, Doghouse, where like Digby gets like possessed by a cop and then he's like a, a talking dog that also used to be a cop and is like an uncle. And I'm like totally scrunching at my forehead because I'm like, this sounds like the dumbest show ever. This was really a show. It was a show. It was called wow. Doghouse. Digby's okay. in the doghouse. He's an uncle to the kids in a pain Helen. It would have been so fun to like possess that dog <laughs> with a killer or like the son of Sam or something and be like, go shoot the people. And you want to know something? I think he was a fucking St. Bernard too. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Neat. I, that sounds kind of interesting to watch at least a snip of that after watching Cujo. <laughs> I always wished Cujo was a was a German shepherd. I knew a girl that had got bit in the face by their own German shepherd and the dog was subsequently put down, but... Uh, she's still scarred from it. And this was when we were very, very young. Uh, very scary. So, of course, it didn't instill that fear of breeds in me whatsoever. But I did always picture uh, German Shepherds as the most dangerous of domestic dogs. Maybe tied for first place with Cocker Spaniels. Well, hang on a second here. A Cocker Spaniel? Cocker Spaniels are fucking vicious, horrible, bloodthirsty beasts that listen to no man. Yeah. and I'm not all... even kidding. Like, I am not fucking around. I've had many people agree with me. Cocker Spaniels are vicious, fucked up, insanos. Well, there's a reason why that they're known as nature's chainsaw. Are they really? Well, I feel they should be because <laughs> I've been chased down and, and mauled and bit to fuck by the worst Cocker Spaniel ever. And I've seen other people. I've had Cocker Spaniels come at me just walking down the street. Like, it, Cocker Spaniels should be, they're banning pit bulls starting now in Quebec, mm-hmm. right? So they're phasing out. And I use, like, little air quotes because I don't understand how you phase out a living creature. But, I mean, I'm trying to be nice here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk enough about killing fucking dogs. Yeah. But so they're phasing out pit bulls. Why not phase out cocker spaniels? Well, I can tell you who doesn't want to phase out cocker spaniels. Mm. Dog lovers. I don't want any dog to be phased out, quote unquote. That's yeah. just creepy to me. That it is a really, it is a really creepy way of saying it, yeah. but it definitely phasing is a, a, a very pr way of saying it and we'll be phasing out these dogs by the end of 2017 it's like uh what does that mean to say phasing out a living creature could you imagine if if a government official said that they were phasing out a type of person <laughs> could you what the actual fuck? what does that mean yeah and now apparently under other legislation dogs are their own persons so like that's the case for if you leave a dog in a car with the windows up that's like a attempted homicide or something like that. Mm. So you can get charged, like big charges, because dogs have the same rights as people. Mm. But they're phasing out a breed. I don't know, it's just crazy. Um, either way, when I was very, very little, we had a, a pretty dog-centric household. We had uh, one or two dogs at all times. And usually a lot of huskies which are super high strung but good family dogs so we never had to deal too too much with people vilifying our dogs and down the road we had my cousin's house with a whole lot of hounds and they usually had a lot of like hunting dogs so there was like a lot of dog duties to be done so we were very aware of rabies and it was always like to watch us because we did spend a lot of time in the bush surrounding and my Cousin did go on, on hunting excursions. They had a lot of hunters in their family. 
So rabies was something that we watched out for. And to know that there was a dog with rabies scary film, once we're a little bit old enough to watch it, I loved watching Cujo. I probably watched it a good handful of times and just absolutely terrified. The way that most people have their experience with the movie Jaws as children or young horror fans, Cujo is my Jaws entirely. I'm still kind of sad, though, that the one of the final attack scenes uh, was handled the way it was, but we'll get to that. I'll always be disappointed about that, I think, from the very first time I watched it. But this, to me, is the most terrible nature run amok. So what's this movie even about, is what I want to know. Wait, I do know. It's screaming lady trapped in a car with crying kid? Mm-hmm, but before that, we are introduced to a young boy named Tad... He's got an overactive imagination. He's a coward. (laughs) No wonder you have no children. (laughs) And thank God for that. (laughs) Yes, he is a coward. And his dad is a liar. I'm being a little harsh, but basically the kid's got himself a primo case of monster problems. He's very much afraid of his closet. And he screams and hollers and cries. Get used to that, kids. Where... His parents come running into the room, and then he just proclaims that there's a monster. He saw the monster in his bedroom. His parents do the things that parents always kind of do, just there's no such thing as monsters, and don't worry about it. And even though the kid takes time to put all of his furniture up against the closet door, the closet door is broken, and so it swings open uh on its own. Which is an awesome tactic to have in a scaredy kid's room. I love this. I'm going to go around breaking closet doors every chance I get. <laughs> I like it. Love it. Now, um, old Vic is a really successful cereal salesman. He's not and- a cereal salesman. I've been correcting you for hours. It is. He's an ad executive. No, Lydia. I know a little something about this film, having seen it as many times as you, probably more. I haven't. No, that's a lie. But he sells cereal. That's what I know about him. It's, it's like so aggravating. This is how aggravated you feel probably being trapped in a car as you keep calling him a cereal salesman. <laughs> they created a very successful ad campaign for Raspberry Zingers from the Sharp Cereal Company, which is a company name for a cereal I would never eat. Sharp cereal? Yeah. <laughs> or Jagged Rusty? Well, I don't eat cereal for one. And yeah, Jaggy Rusty Crustio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would probably take my chance with the Crustios. But um, yeah, they should have urged the company to change their name for one, but whatever. <laughs> they did this ad campaign of this old professor that would pimp all the cereals out, like mm-hmm. Sparkles and Weedy O's or whatever made up cereal brands. And these raspberry zingers, and his catchphrase was, "Yep, nothing wrong here." Which that's is- that's an insane advertising slogan. You eat a cereal, you look at the camera, nothing wrong here. That, <laughs> that instantly makes me think there's something supremely wrong. Exactly. So when something does go wrong, it just becomes hilarious. So the news is all over them. They fucking jump on this guy like crazy. The red dye is not digestible and comes out as stark bright red as it did going in your guts as raspberry zingers and comes out as something that looks like internal hemorrhaging. Yeah, it looks like you got blood in your stool. Which I'd love to eat these. It'd be fucking hilarious. I'd be into it. I'd be like, oh, here comes my frosty red shits. Watch me puke blood. Blah. It'd be hilarious <laughs> for me. 
But I can understand how that would be very terrifying for parents when their kids start fucking retching and shitting out fucking blood constantly. It's hilarious, actually. But, of course, the news is like, yeah, nothing wrong here. (laughs) So he is in a panic. Vic has to leave for 10 days while his wife, Donna, is dealing with their car that keeps breaking down. I don't understand how he can afford this very nice ranch-style two-story home on the countryside. It's very nice. On the escarpment of that overlooking country, it's very pretty. And his Jaguar. And can't afford to repair her car somewhere proper instead of some shade tree mechanic in the middle of the country. Bring it to a fucking garage. Buy her a new car. You know, you didn't get rich by writing a lot of checks there, Lydia. And also, I have this narrative in my head where he was probably supposed to go and buy another car. So they'd have two cars, two car household. God knows they can afford it. And he, you know, big time serial salesman. I'm sorry, uh, advertising agent. Thank you. And he's got a little extra scratch. Sees that Jaguar. He's wanted one since he was a little kid. Is a little bit of midlife crisis. He's not quite at midlife, but probably pretty close. And you know what? I'm going to spoil myself. I work hard. I'm going to get this car. Brings it home. His wife's just like, well, that's great. Uh, can I fix my car? He's like, baby, 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 baby. I just spent all this money on this Jaguar. And so, you know, he's got a... Could be. That's that's exactly what happened. By the way, she's having an affair. Yeah, I didn't know how long she's been fucking her ex-boyfriend for. But like Blondie, that, Blondie McBeard pants. Yeah, he looks like a grown-up Barney Rubble. <laughs> I'm still absolutely the opposite of attracted to this person. I think you mean absolutely. I think he killed my libido for the next seven years. Oh my god! Just seeing him. Yeah. I don't think he's that bad looking. I see a lot of myself in him. Dashing blonde hair, bushy beard. Yuck. I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh God. Well, listeners. I've never felt less attractive in my life, but good news. We're moving on. We basically have a fairly functioning household here. I mean, the wife is stepping out on her husband. He knows. That's the thing. There's a couple of scenes while we are going throughout the very early stages of this movie where he's getting a sense that she's probably cheating on him. Now, this is her ex-boyfriend from high school. He's a friend of the family now. He does little odds and ends projects for the house and he just keeps coming around nothing nothing wrong there no like no not really even if he lingers and you know the husband does see them having some sort of argument in the in public on a street side and then comes around again to see if they're still there and when he questions his wife about it later she says she didn't do anything that day and doesn't mention this argument with mr kemp so it is like she's definitely keeping something from him but there's a lot of these moments where you think he's going to say something and he doesn't. There's a lot of, like, unspoken tension between mm-hmm. this husband and wife. Nothing really abnormal when somebody's... When someone's being unfaithful and keeping secrets from one another in film anyway, because I wouldn't really know how that works in real life. Never, unfortunately, been in that position. So it does seem fairly average. And then to counter that... We do meet a little bit of the Camber family. Mm-hmm. This would be the mechanic that Don is going to be bringing her car to. He's a bit of a shade tree mechanic, has a little garage set up in a little barn on his country property. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fairly poor family and a country sensibility family 
where Joe Camber runs the household with an iron fist. His son listens to him like a drill sergeant. His wife is meek and I don't see, think we see a lot of spousal abuse in the film itself. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it's very clear that she is a battered woman. And it's very clear, though, that she doesn't really speak up for herself and is very afraid of her husband. Mm-hmm. And they own Cujo. They do own Cujo. is a family dog. And it's, I guess it's the sons, but the father really seems to like Cujo quite a bit. Yeah, I guess like any fellow that putters around the house and does odd, odds and ends and mechanic work for the townspeople that he spends a lot of time on the property and talking to the dog probably while he's fixing radiators or whatever it is that he would do. Being greasy while he's standing there being greasy and smelling weird. Um, and drinking, because mm-hmm. he does do that quite a bit mm-hmm. with his neighbor. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like Vic and his family are such an affluent, well-off people, and they live in such a nice home. He's tipped off to this idea uh, about going to to them by the, the, the local uh, mail carrier. Who says, you'll do it for real cheap, which I agree doesn't make any sense. I was like, this guy doesn't look like he can't afford a mechanic to fix it or just buy her a new car. Yeah, exactly. The car is on its last legs. It looks like everything's breaking down in this car. Yeah. The mailman, you had pointed out, would have been an excellent little role for Stephen King himself. I was surprised. I was like, you have like this guy in his dorky little mailman outfit and with the hat with the brim on it and he's doing like a weird voice and he's got big old glasses on and I, and I said to myself as if Stephen King wasn't chomping at the bit to do this role and I guarantee you when he finally saw this film and he saw that one scene he's like there right there that's where I would have been I, I, sh- I should have done that role yeah. he's even doing an impression of me because he does he's he doing, basically kind of he's is. doing a Stephen King impression of of like Stephen King as an actor in a movie where he just does a goofy voice. Yeah. He does a great job of it too because it got your attention. And yeah. once you mentioned it, I was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree that the mailman could have and should have been played by Stephen King. Because yeah. it is like a Stephen King film in that way. All it needed was Stephen King to be actually in it. Um, it does have like a number on the cop car. 8585 it adds up to 1313 there's a lot of those numerological games that Stephen King plays in his films so there's a lot of like 13s and 666s I wasn't looking very closely for the devil's number but I did notice the 1313 so it does have that Stephen King feel as far as films go Mm -hmm. I wish he would have been in it now counter to the Trenton household the Camber household is poor and sad and there's fighting and everyone like walks around on broken glass we had a little conversation about how these very strict parents breed the best liars because the kids are constantly having to subvert their ironclad rule of their parents Mm -hmm. so learn to like be the absolute best liar because if they're going to get caught in a lie as you had said the consequences are dire Mm -hmm. watching this i'd pointed out how Joe Camber has created these manipulative people in his wife and son out of necessity so they could get anything other than having to live like church mice and the threat of being beaten or verbally abused at any minute. Mm -hmm. It's a little more apparent in the book, but that is what's apparently going on. Because when they're going to be going away for a week and Cujo seems to be feeling ill, little Brett wants his dad to take care of his dog but isn't sure he's going to. 
His mom suggests calling and asking if he's feeding his dog. So this is a big manipulation all around the simple question that Brett will want to know if his dog is okay, Mm -hmm. which is just nuts to me Mm because I didn't grow up in one of these like not being able to tell your parents the truth about things, having to lie to your parents because they're very strict or having to be manipulative so that people didn't fucking lose their mind on you. It's very, very horrible to me, but portrayed extremely well. Mm-hmm. With that one or two little lines that we learn that Joe Camber is not a nice guy. No, absolutely not. To back up a little bit, Cujo, the scruffy puppy, mm-hmm. had been frolicking in the very opening scene in a field with a bunny rabbit. It was like a fucking nature documentary. Very Disney. I was like, this should be the live action Bambi. <laughs> I would watch that. I do love animal shows. Well, that's cool. I always liked in like the wonderful world of Disney where they would do that. It would, it would be like basically just filming nature with like that Disney narrative. You know the one I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, would do. just be talking about like chipmunks and shit. <laughs> I used to watch that shit all the time. Yep, I would, and that's what this looks like at the beginning. And it's very good animal acting from yeah. Kudo. Even the bunny, he mm-hmm. cowers just so. I love mm-hmm. him. The bats are amazing actors. The first time I've ever seen some really good bat acting. It's a good shot. Uh, it's a good shot of Cujo sticking his head into a, a cave, a small cave where the bats seem to be sleeping. Um, that he disturbs, uh, and and then of course when he does and agitates all the bats, they start flying around. One of them eventually bites the end of his nose. Uh, but it's a very well sh- uh, established shot. It looks really good, and it's the only shot like it in the entire movie. The rest of the movie, we're back to basically uh, framing every shot traditionally straight on everything has a bit of a yellow tinge to it but this one scene is dark it's brown it's at an angle uh, and it's only involving animals so it's really cool it is that like hellish underground where this thing has come from so it's very very cool little technique actually to have this dark cavernous scary place where the evil was born i do like it a lot and the animal acting is impeccable so poor cooch goes home with a cut on his nose and he actually meets tad and donna as a fairly healthy friendly dog Mm -hmm. and brett introduces tad to cujo while they're sitting there talking about the pinto and it's agreed that they'll bring the pinto out the next day overnight is when Vic goes on his business trip so donna's left to fend for herself the next day and bring her son out with this breaking down car to the cambers garage slash home and Charity Camber has won a lottery. She has $5,000. Being this cloistered woman, this kept woman, she's going to kind of bust out a little bit and give her husband some money, but tell him, I bought you a chain hoist to lift engines out of cars a lot easier. It's the one you wanted. I'm taking my son and myself to my sister's for a week. And you know she's not coming back. She took family photo albums and shit like that with her. She took... The, the, it's very obvious even though like we're not giving very we're not giving any dialogue about it it's obvious that she's not coming back she's not coming back even though it's not as obvious either why she would want to leave so badly uh, it's clear that he's not a great guy but it's not really clear the level of domestic abuse that's going on i wish they would have like just done something to really make us believe speaking of abuse there um donna's boyfriend ex or i suppose lover Steve Kemp. Steve Kemp. She breaks it off with him. She comes to his place 
and says, we can't be together anymore. I just can't. And she's like, I got a, a good marriage and a, and a wonderful husband and he's a good father and I'm just being ridiculous and I don't want to do this anymore. Fair. And even he has the attitude of, yeah, all right, if that's what you want. Seems like a nice clean break. It, it does. And I was like, well, that's very healthy. I mean, you guys are both doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing. And she's decided to end it. And that's her prerogative. And and the only thing you can do in that situation, buddy, is just save face and be like, I understand. Okay. And then that's it. Seemed he took it like a man. Yeah. For 10 minutes. For Not, not even. even. The second she's out the door, he's fucking whipping his pants off, running out without a shirt on. And I'm like, dog, this is a small fucking town, dude. Like, like, you can't be running after a married woman with your fucking shirt off, like, pulling at her and crap. Then he fucking uh, goes back to her at the house. Uh, it, it, like, this is just before the final, the, this is basically the last time these two characters will ever see each other. And he, like, fucking forces himself on her he doesn't rape her but fucking cripe does he try and and you know she's pushing back on him and shit like that and you know uh donna's husband and son are coming home early and like there's fucking milk spilled all over the ground his retaliation when she's pushing him away he's like who do you think you are what the hell are you doing and it's like wow you are fucked up this whole the idea of men forcing themselves on women back in the 80s coming out of the 70s was just so fucking alien to me i don't get it either like i'm watching this and i'm like what a fucking descent and because like this and that's not even like the most fucked up thing this guy will end up doing Mm -hmm. but i'm always curious and and maybe this is more in the book is he is this more explored in the book not really not by much except that the heat wave is making him 10 times more insane now when Vic finally leaves for his 10-day trip. He asks his wife a very simple question. Yes or no? Yes, obviously. Are you having an affair with this man? No, are you not? Her answer is yes. It's yes. Yeah. And that's the extent of it. He just turns on his heel and leaves. He doesn't really look... He looks stern, but there's no communication. There's no talking. And you would get a sense that, not making excuses for anybody, but this is probably the type of marriage that they have. I've always had. This is probably the level of communication that they've always had. They're their own people, no questions asked. Yeah. It's that like, sort of thing. Is, I'm, the, I'm a good provider. I'm a good husband. I provide all of this kind of stuff. Like, we have a kid together. We love each other, but there's no reason to, you know, their dinner time, very stark. Like, they just were sit, they sit there quietly. That's probably been both on both of their minds, though, for some time. It seems like when they're tucking themselves in at night, he uh, looks to have some sort of question he wants to ask her and doesn't. Maybe they have operated like this all this time, but I, I tend to think that it's relatively new. It seems, but who knows? I'm just making stuff up based on the film. and the book, it is relatively new as well. Um. When he drives away, they try to hash things out. She assures them that it's over. And then it's and then it's just her and Tad left. Tad had been having these horrible terrors with something in his closet, and his father had written up a bit of a contract. It's almost poetic uh, about monsters having no business there, and they call it the monster words. And they're basically a contract between the monster and the household or the kid that the monsters can't come into his room. Mm-hmm. So Tad's concern before his dad leaves is that. 
who's going to say the monster words and he has written them down for his son so even the next day when they i don't know why he carries them around with him but tad tucks the monster words in somewhere in his bag pocket whatever for safekeeping so that at night when he goes to bed he can read the monster words and keep the monster out of his closet while his dad's awake that morning while vic is heading out of town joe camber has decided to head out of town himself his wife is taking off with the son to connecticut he is hanging out with his drunk friend next door with Cujo, who's getting sicker and sicker as we go his eyes have become greasier yeah and he's reacting to sounds quite badly in the book we get the dog's point of view which i do love because i like i think dogs are great you know they're way better than most people so to have a writer Ruff, this is my internal monologue lydia it's me Cujo. <laughs> i don't ascribe a voice to Cujo like that thank you very much sir oh i'm so sorry <laughs> it's i Cujo. it's just like a, a more gruff version of scooby-doo admit it yeah yeah Dogs don't talk like Scooby-Doo. Dogs don't have, like, a, a growly voice in my mind when I'm reading, like, dog dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound like Scooby-Doo to me. It's written very well. It's written about the, the level that you would think a dog would, would talk. If you want to listen to dogs and cats talk, go watch The Voices, which was lovingly lent to me by Chris from Bind Torture Cast ages ago. And I've rewatched it just recently, and he gives me my, like, dog talk and fix, right? I do talk to the house cat here. I don't have a voice ascribed for him in my head, but I wish I did after watching yeah. the voices. That's true. Yeah. He's all like, hello, Lydia. I'm the talking cat now. I interrupt a podcast with my jingly collar bells. <laughs> you sound like Bubbles. The cat looks nothing like Bubbles. You know, I got accused the other day of sounding like Bubbles when I was trying to do an impression of my boss. Whatever. I guess that's just where my head is. Do you think of your boss's dog? Look at me, I'm the boss's dog. <laughs> so you just think it sounds silly. When you read the book, it's touching and harrowing and scary, and you feel the fear that the dog is experiencing through these loud noises, the changes in its thought patterns, and the things that it is that are happening to it that are scaring it. Mm-hmm. And subsequently the people around him, because he had spent a little bit of time in the misty morning growling at his owner, mm-hmm. Brat, the young boy, Camber's boy. And that's why Brett gets concerned that there's something wrong with the dog. And while they're away, he wants to make sure his dad takes care of the dog because the dog was growling and there seemed to be something wrong. It seems odd to me that no one in this country home gives one look at the dog and says, fuck, that dog has rabies. Yeah. Shoot it. Like it, it goes from being a very clean, fluffy looking dog to a greasy fucking mess where it's just like the dog doesn't look clean like, let alone healthy. What's wrong with this picture? How yeah. has this happened so quickly? Especially when it was, yeah, a clean and fluffy, happy, normal-looking St. Bernard. And now he's got yellow, oozing pus coming out of each eye and down his snout. His snout is covered in froth. And he's obviously he's stumbling, he's reacting badly, he's growling when he was apparently a friendly, fine dog and a little lazy because the neighbor says that you'll never get that dog to sick on me because I guess the dog is just that good-natured and a little lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not anymore. It's a growly, fucking disgusting wreck. Yeah. But I guess no one notices? 
Brett doesn't get that clear of a look, only knows that the dog is growling at him and doesn't look right. Mm. Maybe he's too young to really understand what rabies are. But I was younger than the Brett character is supposed to be when I watched this and I knew I knew what rabies were. I looked forward to watching this because I knew what rabies were. Were you taught in school or by your parents what rabies were and to watch out for rabies? I mean, I don't know like the def- the definitive moment in my life where I learned what rabies were, but I definitely knew what like rabies were and a, well, it's a mad dog. You know what I mean? Like I, I know I knew that. I just don't know when I learned it, but I did. I did know it at a young age. You learned from the Hercules cartoon. Uh, no, Hercules cartoon. There was a Hercules cartoon with a rabid dog. Like Hercules, hero song and story. Yeah, yeah. You know the funny. Then it turned into Cerberus. And he had... <laughs> there was two distinct like monster noises in that uh, in that cartoon show. One of them was like a, and the other one was like. And I always like the ones that went. Yeah, I do. I agree with you. I'd like those yeah. monsters best too. And I would hold out for that monster noise. Oh, hell yeah. There's a monster noise in this story. Um, Todd is asked to describe what the monster in his closet is like. And he says that it makes a noise and he imitates the noise, which is sort of like a growly pant. Mm-hmm. And once Cujo's very, very ill, when everyone has left town and it's left to Joe Camber, who's about to leave town as well, the dog is making that noise that Tad had envisioned. So it's not made that apparent, though. It's noticeable to me because I've read the book and I know that the closet and the dog are linked in the novel. And they're not necessarily linked in this book, but that is sort of the exact noise. It's kind of creepy. It's also a noise that Tad makes later on near the very, very end. Um, sort of this panting growl, but that's the sound of Cujo now. He's gone from being a sleepy, yawny puddle of puff in the corner to this really cranky, angry dog. Um, the neighbor, not that he's a bad person, he doesn't give a shit. He lets us know that. Uh, Mr. Perver or whatever, I think his name is Perver. Yeah, well, he's just dumping cans. It's precious antique cans in a fucking pile of garbage. It's noisy, though, and it's driving Cujo up the fucking wall. Yeah. Poor dog. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he. but Cujo definitely is getting super agitated by loud noises, and this is the straw that breaks the Cujo's back, because holy fuck. This is a horror film. We're trying to get some scares in here, Lydia. Yeah, we uh, just went all like love triangle bullshit. Oh my god, like fucking like small town kids. Small town Melrose Place and like kids with Pac-Man lunchboxes and like I'm done. You like that lunch? I do like the lunchbox. I, I wish I had it. Um, now let's get some fucking murder going. Thank God, it's Cujo's first kill. Cujo fucks this dude up, but and this is like I think it cannot be understated how big a fucking dog Cujo is. He's a Saint Bernard. On his hind legs, he stall, he ta- he stands as tall as a man. And that's taller than me. Yeah. I was like, this is a fucking 200-pound animal. This dog would dwarf me. This dog would crush me. Yeah. Literally. It's fucking crazy because, like, this guy, like, like gets attacked by Cujo and he's like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to fuck you up, dog. And he goes to get his gun. Of course, like, no one ever has a loaded gun. He's got to go and, like... Get ruffle for bullets. Ruffle and like, for bullets. His house is a disaster. It looks like a hoarder's house. It looks disgusting. It is like a hoarder's house. Like the Sawyer family house or some shit like that. It is. But the Sawyer family house is actually a lot tidier. Yeah. Yeah. Those bones were intricately set up. Yes, they were. And there Except probably for... wasn't like pizza boxes and stuff on the floor. 
Yeah. There, yeah. I bet you there was a lot of peat uh, food around, in and around the place. Again, the place probably just smelled like it smelled like it looked like it smelled like mildew and shit to me. I'm gonna be talking a lot about smells here, guys, because like this fucking movie just looks like it reeks to me. Yeah. Anyways, um he gets a hold of the guy's neck and just fucking bites down, bite, 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 the other way that only a dog can do, and kills this motherfucker, just tears his throat right out. It's and awesome. finally, he's got a little bit of blood on his fur, because at this point, he'd only had his little festering nose hole that got bloody, but now he's going to have blood all over his fur. Mm-hmm. We had a dog out of the, the huskies we had. We had two different ones named Bandit, so Bandit 1 was a bit of a killer. Um, Bandit 2.0 was insane, but he wasn't a killer, and he didn't live in the countryside like Bandit 1, who used to gnaw on groundhogs on a regular basis, and people would drop, pull in the driveway, and the dog would come to greet them with blood like all over them, which was hilarious to us. Country dogs, like, what do you do? This is also the dog that jumped through a screen door just like Cujo in the circus dog. That's why I kept being so excited. And that's the thing with this. Aside from it being like Jaws and scary to me, it's also... Uh, I get a sense of joy getting to see the dog like crush humans. It's great. But we were inside the house one day and my dad pulled in the driveway. The dog hadn't seen him. He was away on work for like a week or two. And the dog was very, very, very excited. And the screen door was shut. And I could see the dog getting more and more excited. And stupid me was just like getting her more excited and saying like, guess who's home? Guess who's home? Dad's home. Dad's home. Getting her all ramped up. And she looked at me, looked outside, looked at me, looked outside, and then jumped straight through the screen door like a circus dog. Wow. Yeah. It was hilarious. I forget who had to repair the screen door, but regardless, I've seen a dog just burst through a screen door. So it's always kind of hilarious now to see it in Cujo. Not quite as terrifying as it's supposed to be anymore for me. True. It's weird to me that he decided to close his screen door and lock it with that tiny little latch. I'm like, yeah, that'll hold him. He's got like a solid wood door there that he could probably could have closed, but that's neither here nor there. Now, I guess he really didn't think that the dog was going to go that crazy. He didn't seem to think the dog was going to follow him in his house either, which I guess he didn't know he was dealing with a rabid dog. But I'm thinking you take one look at the dog and you can tell it has rabies like... It's a mad dog. It's going to come at you. Oh, yeah. But either way, then the dog turns on its owner. Mm-hmm. Not little Brett. He's safely in Connecticut, but Mr. Camber. Yeah. Uh, and and it is and it is kind of sad. Like, he, like Camber is a piece of shit that he is. Genuinely seemed to like the dog. Uh, but at the same time, he's kind of a piece of shit. And he got bit. We don't see that. They cut away from that. Maybe the idea was like... Make sure it wasn't as gratuitous, like not a lot of like death sandwiched together. And plus, when you're dealing with the idea that a dog is killing people, the dog really only has a method to, to kill people, and it's quite graphic. So they would probably want to limit that as much as possible. And at this point, you would think, well, maybe they don't have a really big effects budget or any plans to do like really startling effects with what this dog Cujo is doing. Cujo in space and shit. <laughs> not Cujo in space, but just like tearing oh. apart throats and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe you're thinking, you know, maybe they don't want to get that graphic. Or like you said, like a death sandwich. They don't want to cram all this death right at the beginning. I don't know why they would think that we wouldn't have wanted to see that. I know I did. Yes, you did. Definitely. But who comes puttering up in their fucking busted ass Ford Pinto? Donna and Todd. Oh, yeah. And so it begins. Gang, this starts a sequence in this film that I 
I really have a hard time with. It's so long. He looks tired, guys. Like, really seriously. He's gone a little pale, and he's just tired. His sleepy eyes. I'm His sleep- hair is a mess, actually. I, I know. My hair is a mess. I need a haircut. Anyways, um, basically what happens is is Donna goes there to get her vehicle fixed. That was the whole point of it. The car is on its last legs. It can barely fucking operate. It practically rolls to a fucking stop. And then no one's around. Where's everybody? I guess I'm... Don't don't you worry about it. I'll, I'll try to find somebody. Oh, the boy's seatbelt's busted. Everything's busted in this fucking car. Oh, shit. Greasy motherfucking dog just jumps out of fucking nowhere. Totally scares her. This kid goes ape shit. Starts screaming immediately. Like, immediately. This is a kid that is a big old scaredy cat anyways. And then you have this giant, slobbering, messy, caked in blood dog. And he thinks, you know, the kid, he's like five, he's six, right? Like he, And so he thinks that this is the monster that he, has been haunting him since the beginning of the film. And her mother, his mother, excuse me, starts to immediately try to calm him down. It's a dog. It's not a monster. It's a dog. You could argue that is a pretty monstrous dog. Yeah, and this, dog, this kid doesn't really believe the adults around him because even after his dad tucked him in and said, you know what, monsters don't exist, and he left the room, and the kid's like, except the one in my closet. And then later they're having, yeah, they're having a conversation about monsters, and they're like, you don't really believe monsters exist, do you, Tad? And he's like, well, not in the daytime. Yeah. Because he's like, monsters exist at night. Because yeah. the kid just refuses to believe monsters don't exist. So, like, you're going to convince him that this fucking dog that is covered in blood and drool and pus that is coming at you and barking like a motherfucker that wants to eat you yeah. isn't a monster. I'm sorry. I agree with the kid. Yeah. Yeah. No matter but, how annoying this kid's about to get, I yeah. agree with him. This kid will not stop fucking hollering. Holy shit. I get it. He's scared. It's a scary situation. The character is not reacting in a way that I feel is unnecessary. It's not that. It's just that it's so annoying to me. Yeah. With his fucking, as you would call it, little kid noises <laughs> that he won't stop making. No, this is beyond little kid noises. This is screeching harpy fucking banshee mm-hmm. levels of stupidity. And and so this begins a sequence, the, uh, an incredibly tense uh, 20, 30 minutes of this movie where these two are just going to be trapped in this fucking vehicle. The tension does get broken periodically as we see what other characters are doing. There's three main cutaways that happen in this film. Let's just cover the cutaways right away, and then we'll just spend the rest of the time in the car. Oh, good. Yeah. One of the cutaways is that Donna and uh, Tad are trying to be, are dependent on the fact that, well, the mail, mail, mail carrier is going to come, and once they see that we're in trouble, we will get rescued. The car will not start. And there's nothing that they can seem to do. The second they leave that vehicle, that dog is going to fucking tear them apart. So they can't do anything. Now, oh shit, they're not, the mail's not getting delivered. It's been ordered to be held over because everyone in that household was leaving. Yeah. So don't deliver the mail. So mail's not coming. Second thing is you have old Vic, the husband, who is, you know, out in the city. Doing fucking ad exec stuff. And worried about his wife, but not really until he decides to just fuck this ad campaign. 
and go back home because, you know, he just found out that his wife had been having an affair. She assured him that it was over with, but now she's not answering the phone. He's called a couple times. For two days. And so he is fearing the worst, but it's not like, oh, I think my wife and child are in danger. He's worried about the affair and he can't concentrate on his work. Mr. Kemp, who she was having the affair with, has taken on some sort of crazy fucking asshole burn lover vendetta what the fuck he came in and completely destroyed their entire fucking house he slashed pillows and cut like furniture up and everything and everything spilled over he's dumped every fucking drawer cut photographs up of her it's fucking creepy and you're like where did this come from how did you go from i'm naked in bed saying yeah don't worry about it all right if that's what you want to two days later fingering the kitchen knives and then fucking cutting everything up. You really liked that scene, didn't you? Well, I mean, it's weird. They're kind of caressing the knives. And then the next scene is like, looks like a poltergeist is shaking the place down. It's Mm -hmm. fucked up. Yeah, he totally goes fucking berserk. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that are cut away while she's trapped in the car. Because we spend two nights in the car. This fucking dog uh, can't really seem to get into the car. Although... It's making a fairly good effort of trying to do that initially. And like, oh, it's so gross. Like every time, everything this dog touches just gets caked in fucking crap. Yeah, blood and slime and pus. It's gross. It's really fucking gross. And I'm glad to hear that they used five dogs in this. Because to have one poor dog covered in fucking egg white sugar and fucking fake blood for any length of time is just cruel to me. Uh-huh. But yeah, they had a rotating stable of five fluffy puppies. Mm-hmm. They covered with this fucking grime because it is really gross. It's so fucking disgusting to me. Every time this dog touches the car, you know exactly where it touched because it just gets fucking like mud and crap and shit all over the fucking place. And 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 meanwhile, the kids uh, they go through like phases of they're terrified. And then now the kid's in the backseat drawing and just wants to go. They're hungry, uh, which is – I, I dig the highs and lows. It does make sense because it comes to the point where you can't scream forever. You no. can't. And, yeah. and you can't be terrified forever because it's just – and to the point where it's like it's just kind of frustrating and boring now because and you're – you're going to spend some time studying your enemy as well, right? Like yeah. it's not very long in. It's during the first night that they're there. That Tad has to take a pee. And she allows him to open up the door. They're not really sure where the dog is. The dog is nearby, but they're not really sure where the dog is. And Tad takes a pee outside of the door. And it turns out the dog is laying in front of the car. So we as the the audience get to see that the car door is open and Tad's going to the washroom. And the dog is laying in front. So there's that like threat, Mm -hmm. sort of, for us. And then the phone begins to ring in the house. Kujo does not like that. No, he is really agitated by loud noises. And he sort of looks, he gets up and he sort of looks to this stream of urine. Sort of like, well, I could eat the kid's dick or I could like run in the house and attack whatever this noisy thing is. And Donna sees this happen. They shut the door. The dog runs toward the house to attack the ringing phone. And... The dog's already, like, really attacked the car to the point that Tad has asked, like, can it get in here? Can it eat its way in? And mom being mom lies and says no. She could have said, I don't know, which would have been the correct answer, but she says no. 
Kuju kind of proves her wrong here with smashing through the house window after the ringing phone. Mm-hmm. And smashes through the window like nothing. Like a circus dog. Yes. Everything he does is like a circus dog. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 12. <laughs> um, while she's also watching this dog, she's also checking her environment. She sees that uh, Brett's baseball bat is on the ground. Can she make a, a game for that? It's possible. But the dog is so agitated and so aware of every time she opens that door, she doesn't have time to fucking get it. And so that kind of becomes something that, well, I can't I can't do that. But she has to do something. And she's it's, looking into the house, like, gauging how far it would be to run. And, like, the baseball bat's almost like a two-way trip if she can get it and kill the dog or something. Or at least put it, like, stop it for a while. And, and then what? And then get to the house? If she just made a run for the house, at least it's maybe a one-way trip and Tad might be safe because she would distract the dog and get to the phone at least mm-hmm. it's such a crapshoot because the dog definitely does stalk her mm-hmm. there's many times the dog is laying near the door of the barn where the mechanic area happens and just watches the car watches and watches and watches there's several times during this whole stakeout that the phone does ring and the dog loses his shit every single fucking time. Mm-hmm. The dog loses his shit over them screaming too. So when it attacks the car and their screams seem to agitate it even further, mm-hmm. the dog headbutts the car mm-hmm. like a charging rhino. Oh yeah. Nearly knocks itself out. So it proves to us that the dog will like jump through windows. It can. It's already it has begun to work on shattering one of the windows here. It will ram its head and create dents. It will attack the side of the other side of the car, the passenger side, and tear the door opening mechanism, like the handle, off mm-hmm. entirely. All it needed was one little tooth slip, and it would have depressed the button and opened the door, which would have been hilarious. But, well, yeah. hilarious to me. But yes. Terrifying to a little tiny 10-year-old Lydia. Yeah. Very terrifying. Even from the first scene where the dog's head pops up in the window to later on where the dog eventually makes its way into the car mm-hmm. fucking terrified this was a pillow in front of my face kind of cringeworthy film when i was very young mm-hmm. yeah the way that people say jaws is or was to them mm-hmm. jaws never had that effect kuto definitely did now they're spent a whole overnight and we're into the next afternoon and it's very 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 hot it's very hot in a fucking car anyway it's hot in a normal day mm-hmm. in a car. it's hot in here it is getting hot in here. My neckline too low? Is that what you oh, mean? Is so that... take off all your clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's not that hot in here. And it's way hotter outside actually right now. But in a car, it's oh, crazy yeah. hot. And they have no food, no water, no nothing. In the book, they have warm milk. Blech. Yeah, and it's curling and gross and unhealthy and sick and blah. very, 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 very gross. I wish they would have had that in this phone because that would have been hilarious. Oh, yeah, it would have been. Tad is not doing too well because they don't have any more milk to grossly drink and they don't have any water or anything. He is suffering very, very bad heat stroke and very, very bad dehydration. He's having seizures. Yeah, which, you know, if your brain is boiling and it's in your head, you're going to do crazy fucking things like seize, pass out. I'm surprised he didn't vomit all over himself, which is another symptom. He starts repeating the monster words which maybe isn't all that crazy, but it is still talking garbledy gook. 
So he is in a very bad way, needs medical attention. So the stakes are being raised continuously for Donna. The longer they stand in there, the closer Tad gets to death. Absolutely. And she can't just sit there forever. She does try to finally make her escape when Tad is effectively asleep. Boy, howdy, is that a mistake? Because that dog fucking jumps on her like fucking crazy. Yeah, because it's been waiting. It's been stalking. She is going to make a beeline for the door to the phone or something, but the dog is on her and it bites her quite terribly. I almost think like you would think that she's not going to get away from this. Oh, yeah. You definitely think that you could be fooled into thinking that this character, well, she's done. She manages to to get back into the car and struggle with the dog. The dog fucking bites her thigh. Very right, deeply. Right in there. It's a fucking terrible wound. And it's very bloody and it answers that question that you might have had, like I did at the beginning. Like, oh, are they going to skimp away from any real gore here? Is Mr. Perver, or whatever his name was, getting killed? Was that our fucking gortastic splatter piece Mm -hmm. not so we do get a lot of the her being gored by this fucking dog and the wound on her thigh is quite grievous and Mm -hmm. bloody as hell and you see the dog tearing actual flesh yeah kid is absolutely no fucking help he's just in the corner screaming i'm just like yeah good good job kid nice hustle yeah he's turning gray he's got dark hollows under his eyes he looks pretty fucking sick actually which you know if you're if you're getting joy from the discomfort and terror inflicted on a child then and i am thumbs up thumbs <laughs> up the kid does a good performance of appeasing that and me anyway it's true now this car scene it basically we don't know how donna is going to get out of this cartoon scrape no she can hardly <laughs> fucking keep the dog out from on top of her the dog lunges after her over and over it's a fucking bleeding miracle she gets back into the car to kick the fucking door shut is impossible because this giant 200 pound fucking possessed beast is on top of her with a screaming kid which is only exacerbating the situation Mm because we know what loud noises are doing to this dog right now Mm -hmm. she's screaming the kid's screaming the dog's barking it's insane to have the dog barking right in her face i love this scene Mm -hmm. i've always loved this scene this is the sort of scene that would freeze me in the living room every single time still does there's good news and bad news the good news now we'll do the bad news Bad news is Kevin's a weirdo that molests knives. The good news is he's a weirdo that molests knives. Because when Vic comes home to this scene, he thinks that this guy has taken his wife and his son. So it kind of gives it, him a battle charge. He's positive the kids, the kid and wife are being kidnapped. Mm-hmm. So he calls the cops immediately. Yeah, so the house is swarming with cops. They're trying to get all the information that they possibly can. They're not convinced that this has been a kidnapping because Donna's car is gone. Maybe she's just left. And he says, no, uh, she brought the car in to get it fixed. And so they send one of their police officers to go and check it out. Which is helpful. So we're sort of like, cool, situation fixed. The cops are coming. They call the dog. She'll be safe. It's all good. Right? 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 Yeah. yeah. The cops will be there to phase out Cujo. Luckily for me, Kudo is a fucking unstoppable force in nature. Holy fuck. That cop is on that property for mm, <laughs> 60 seconds. Yeah. 
before that dog fucking absolutely attacks him. Now, the cop tries to draw his weapon, but fumbles, drops his gun. He tries to um, get up into the barn, up onto a top level, but Cujo fucking... Does Cujo gets up there, right? Dude, dog's probably already, like, six feet tall standing and jumping up. It's easy to clear another, like... 10 12 feet so yeah. the dog can pretty much reach anything all it needs to do is step up onto anything mm. and any height the rafters were giving this cop to get away from the dog are useless especially if his legs are dangling which they are mm-hmm. and the dog just basically makes breakfast out of them yep so we got another body and and but here's the good news good news for this death lydia well now there's a missing cop like like they, they, people can't just keep going to this fucking farmhouse and not and and go missing and not have more people come right well, i don't have much faith in these like countryside cops though so i'm like one to 12 hours is what we're looking at here that seems fair for the and, reaction time and uh tad is not gonna live for an hour let alone 12 hours no sunstroke heat stroke kills very very rapidly dehydration yeah. he's been two days without liquid He's just a little kid. Yeah. He already peed once. A stupid idiot. Yeah. So, yeah, he's fucked. He's fading fast. So, when they're still trapped in the car and Vic asks them, it's like, like, what's going on? Like, no one knows anything. And, and they said, like, look, uh, the cops don't even seem to find it odd that they sent a guy up there. Like we sent Bannerman up there a couple hours ago. And he, and he didn't report back. He didn't call anything in. He's like, oh, he's probably just following a lead. Cricket, cricket, cricket. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. He immediately gets into his sexy wax jag and fucking flies over to the farmhouse. And while he's on his way, Donna realizes my kid is on the brink of death. I, As scary as this is, as much as I almost fucking died the last time, I have to do something. And at that point, you sort of, you know what? You're You're going to fucking die. Or yeah. your kid's going to die. You're all going to fucking die. Like, yeah. whatever. That they, is their, the fate of our existence anyway. So you might as well either just lay there and accept it or bundle up your fucking kid and try and get to the phone. So that's exactly what she tries to do. The dog, of course, immediately is not having it. But she manages to make it to the baseball bat. Thank God. Because this makes it very, very interesting. Now. Mm-hmm. She cracks that fucking dog a couple of times. I wish that she would have just thought of the baseball bat a lot sooner. She would have been way more full of energy because right now she's tired mm-hmm. and probably disoriented. She's got heat stroke herself. She probably has not one ounce of strength. It's probably why it takes her quite a bit to beat on this fucking dog. She breaks the bat over this fucking thing's head. Um, still not down. I mean, like a St. Bernard. It's a big, thick, heavy skull. It's a big head. That's a big animal, right? It's a big fucking animal. And it's also, like, obsessed with, like, fucking human kill rage or whatever you would call it, bloodlust. Again, again, when you're dealing with a a, a human being or an animal or whatever the fuck that is absolutely prepared to kill you, like, it's just, like, the... the, It's got untold strength. Yeah, that type of rage, power, and unpredictability is really, really dangerous. She manages to break off the fucking bat on its head, but it lunges at her anyway. She kind of does, like, fucking an an Anthony Hopkins in the movie The Edge with the fucking bear. Uh, Like, just skewers the dog, and the dog seems down and out. She manages to push the disgusting... Oh, it is so gross by now, too. This dog has been sweating because it's been dehydrated. It's one of the things with rabies is that you get 
hydrophobia, so you're afraid or uncomfortable drinking water, although you're dying of thirst. Mm -hmm. And it's a very strange condition. And dogs, like, even though this dog did wag its tail a couple times, it kept trying to tie the dog's tail down. I know, yeah. From wagging, yeah. And it was panting because you can't stop a dog from panting, but a dog with rabies won't pant. And when a dog is dying of heat exhaustion, they won't pant either because, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's the same thing with people when you're getting heat exhaustion. You will feel very, very cold and sweat very, very much. Then you stop sweating at a certain point when mm -hmm. you're getting close to that point of no return and slipping into coma or death. Uh, that's kind of where Cujo is because he'd been sweating and not panting and he's slimy and gross and covered with all sorts of disgusting fluids and he's killed what three people now three people, yeah. totally covered in gore and slime and froth and spit it is absolutely gross and must smell just like the shag carpet of Slick's van oh, without any jizz though if someone jizzed on Cujo that would be a little more like it yeah, that's definitely Slick. Slick's all about the jism. Now, now, she manages to find the police officer's gun. She aims it at the beast, and I'm just like, perforate this fucking thing, man. Double tap. I guess she hadn't seen Zombieland. No, not yet. Yeah. Eh? It's, yeah. a, it's a couple of years away. And so she takes a boy, brings it to the house, him, him, not it. And I call them it all the time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's rubbing off on you. And uh, tries to get him going. He seems dead. She does a little CPR. The kid revives. She's happy. Holy fuck. We're one last scare. Fucking Cujo jumps through the fucking glass like a circus dog and <laughs> lunges at them. She draws the weapon. Bang. You don't see what happens. Vic shows up at the household. Sees like, what would you be thinking if you were him? And you came onto that property and you saw your fucking Ford Pinto, your wife's car, Covered in blood, smashed, smashed in, up. fucking yeah. like because she's even smashed the back glass with the gun. It took her a couple of hits to indicate her weakness. I mean, for some reason, when she got out to get the baseball bat and kill the dog, she'd locked herself out of the car and yeah. so well, the dog had fucked with the there. handle so much and like it got all dented and I could see the door jamming fucking... and everything's breaking on this car, quote unquote. Yeah, right. And so like under the best conditions, this car is fucked. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they fucking uh, like he shows up. She comes out of the house with the kid in her arms, and they're gonna make it after all. Da, 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 da. You love these upbeat endings, don't you, Wes? I do love upbeat endings. Well, fuck that. In the book, the kid dies. Makes me so very happy. Yes, because it's a very far more realistic. She lives just barely. She undergoes the treatment that there is for rabies, which is, and of course, her dehydration and her heat stroke. Um, many, many, many needles in the fleshiest part of her ass because that's what you do to get rid of fucking rabies. I think it's like 20 needles or 30 needles or something. It might have been changed now when I, around this era, that's what it would have been. This regiment of fucking needles. And yeah, the kid does not make it. It is terribly sad. Wow. And the dog is put down, of course, and they even have some of the last thoughts of the dog, which... Is very, very, very sad. And that's why a lot of people don't like this book, is that it ends on a real super downer. A real super downer for everybody involved. Well, I tell you, I'm kind of of two minds because that seems really interesting to me. It would have been, imagine the uproar <laughs> if people would have seen this in theater and the kid would have died mm -hmm. back in the 80s too, where everyone needed to be appeased, right? But it would have been 
it'd be far more fitting for a remake of this day and age, I think, to have that sort of bleak ending. But they are remaking Cujo, not with a bleak ending though, but with it being an acronym for some sort of like cop unit. So yeah, it is an acronym. Fucking Cujo stands for, and I quote, Canine Unit Joint Operations. Okay, so it's not just an angry rabid dog? So it's not a remake after all? I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Like To me, that seems like so terabad. Like it seems so Saturday morning fucking shit. Like did you ever, um, fuck. Did you ever see that 80s cartoon Cops? Like no. it was fighting crime in a future time. So COPS st- stood for uh, Central Operation or Central Operations of Police Specialists, a.k.a. COPS. That's what this Cujo is going to be. This is what I'm envisioning. As soon as I saw th- that it was an acronym, I was like, oh, fuck, fuck this movie. I'm not interested in this whatsoever. At all. At all. At all. At all. I would be very interested in... A very hard-hitting and gory remake of Cujo that ends the way the book ends, that hits the supernatural vibe, that ties it into the dead zone. I would be totally on board to see something like that. And just like, I had to look it up real briefly to correct myself, but it is Central Organization of Police Specialists, which are going to team up with Cujo, and they're going to fucking like fight crime in a future time, and the dogs are robots, and it's going to be fucking epic. Yeah, and unfortunately that would make so much mad stacks of paper cash. Hell yeah, you I'm got it learning, right. <laughs> I'm learning how to talk like an idiot. Oh. Um, in the box office compared to my bleak, scary, wrong, dirty, and depressing version of Cujo. Well, there's nothing wronger or more dirty than you. Aw, thanks. <laughs> so what do we got next for him? Next, we have Jeepers Creepers, which is a little more wrong and dirty than me. (laughs) It is a little more wrong, a little bit more dirty. I'm looking forward to it. Good. Because we finally, we're going to close the book. We're going to close the tome of Stephen King films for now. There's a lot of Stephen King movies out there, and I like a lot of them, so you never know. But I think for a little while, we're going to put Stephen King to bed. I'm glad that you made it through Kujo as well as you did. You did very, very well. And I I almost want to apologize for putting you through it, but fuck it. I really, I like this movie a lot, so I had a lot of fun. Well, you just wait, because I got some secret movies planned that you are not going to like. Sweet. I am so excited. <laughs> I love not liking things. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. Oh, Kujo.